so uh, it's good to be back. Um, yes, my garage door works now for those of you that didn't know or who have asked me a hundred times already this morning. So, and I'm uh, physical uh, evidence of that. So, and so did any of you not believe the story when you heard it besides Scott? So the, you know, the spring on my, you know, the garage door spring, that's I didn't realize how important a piece of machinery that is. Man, because when it blew, then they both, we have two of them, and so they both blew at the, at the same time. And, and so we couldn't lift the garage door. There was just, and so we're trapped there. And that was such a sad story because it happened on Saturday night. Um, and so, you know, I've been giving a lot of thought to it, which I had a lot of time to do. And... Uh, it could have been a lot worse because it could have happened the week that Pastor Coleman. Oh my gosh. Yes, I was thinking about God's timing. You know, God doesn't always say, well, I'm going to take the thorns away, but he might say, I'll just time them better. <laughs> right? And just imagine what that, imagine, because uh, what I was told, and, and this is a good PSA for all of you here that have garage doors, 10 years is the life expectancy of those springs. So if you happen to know how long, how, how old it's been since you had yours blow, then you can just, you know, prepare for that. Park your car in the front, you know, do that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, 10 years, so, you know, it could have happened that week easily. And then poor Vicar Lee, boy, that would have been something, huh? <laughs> he would have gotten a good lesson in, uh, in emergency church work. So, yeah, baptism by fire, just what the guy needs, yeah. We've all been there, so why not him? Yeah. So anyway, that was uh, that was quite good, and and so then it just ha- happened to work out that uh, then I was planning to uh, be away then the following the following week, and uh, so thank you to Richard for for doing the class. Uh, was everybody nice to you? They were. Okay, good. Does anybody have any questions that you've been thinking about this week that you want Richard to answer today? <laughs> Yeah, well, apparently not. I guess everybody got all their questions answered. So, uh, so good stuff. Well, it's good to, good to be back. Good to, good to see you. I have to admit that this morning uh, before church, I was a little anxious. I was a little nervous. You know, I hadn't been, hadn't been in the saddle for, uh, for, two, for two weeks. And it's amazing just getting uh, sort of out of that routine for a couple of weeks kind of made me think, why am I here? <laughs> That's what I thought. <laughs> So I'm here, and so I think we'll just uh, jump right into it again. So we're in uh, Revelation 17, and uh, still uh, looking at the seven bowls. You might remember the little chart that Bob Orr had put together for us. I don't even know if we have any more of those. Those were very popular after he did those. But uh, anyway, that helped us sort of get a sense of of what the bowls are about. But basically, they deal with uh, uh, God exercising his wrath on the earth in preparation for, uh, for Judgment Day. And so we're going to start with uh, verse 1 and 2 of uh, chapter 17. He says, One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come and I will show you the punishment of the great prostitute who sits by many waters. With her the kings of the earth committed adultery. 
and the inhabitants of the earth were intoxicated with the wine of her adulteries. So I don't. I think I probably erased it. Do you remember when I had the uh, the two triangles up here? Yeah, kind of the kind of yes. I know. It's amazing that has stayed up there all this time. Yeah. So remember the 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 one triangle rep- is the symbol for the triune God, and that's often the symbol that we see in stained glass and and icons and other imagery. And so it represents the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And so as we've been working through through Revelation for this part in particular, we've seen that. Um, that the the emergence of the anti-God or the the emergence of the anti-Christ, the anti-church. And so the way that I depicted it was just to draw an inverted triangle as a way of of demonstrating that. And so uh, we had the dragon who is represented as as Satan. Uh, And then we had beast number one. And then we had beast number two. Okay. And so that's just the way that I've drawn it up here on the, on the board to sort of illustrate that, that there is a difference between the two, but that the purpose of the anti-church or the anti-Christ or the, the, uh, uh, the, the anti-Christian power is to deceive people who think that perhaps they are in fact worshiping the true God when in fact they're worshiping a false god. And so the idea of deception is, is that deception works the best when it appears to look like the real thing. Because otherwise people would say, ah, that's just a bunch of baloney, right? For the most part. But when it comes to the importance and the significance of where do you put your faith and trust? Where do you find the assurance of hope in this life? And where do you find the certainty of the life that is to come? That's, that's not a trivial thing. That's not unimportant. That's not just, oh, well, whatever is your religion, you know, then you do your own thing. Whatever is your truth, you live it. It's very popular for us to hear people say that today. But the the ramification of it is, is that it has eternal bearings. And it is the true source of hope and life and joy and all the joy, all the benefits that we enjoy uh, of having a relationship with Jesus Christ. So it is absolutely crucial. And that's why in Revelation, the dragon, Satan, is going to great lengths to make it appear that the anti-church and the antichrist and all that is associated with that is really the one winning the battle. Okay? I thought that the readings today were particularly poignant when it came to sort of describing that, right? the armor of God and the whole idea of, of uh, do, do we look at and worship um, man-made uh, commandments or do we hold God's commandments as being his truth and being what, uh, what it's all about. So what, what's happening in Revelation 17 is, is that Jesus through John is kind of circling back now and giving, giving us another picture of what he had talked about earlier in Revelation 14 and 15, and, and we'll see this uh, being mentioned. So uh, additional little detail here. He says that, um, come, I will show you the punishment of the great prostitute. All right, so now we have another uh, image that is related somehow to this, all right? 
who sits by many waters. So the reference to waters will come at the end of this chapter. So uh, we'll just hold our breath until, uh, until then to, to uh, figure out what that means, all right? But again, it's, it's looking at this question of the way in which the kings of the earth, and that gets mentioned here, is the kings of the earth are drawn to what the dragon and the two beasts offer. And they are not drawn to what the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit offer. Can you imagine why that might be? There's something in human nature that would lend itself to that. What? Yeah, Lawrence. Self-satisfaction, self-gratification. And what, what is it that that would achieve for someone who was a king of the earth? What is it that you think you're going to get from that? Power. Yes, power. All right. See, the, the, the struggle for a lot of people who are uh, in, uh, let's say, in authority, let's use that, use that terminology, kings of the earth, all right, is that if we're, if we're going to talk about having a relationship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, then, then you can be in authority, right? But the purpose of being in authority is to serve, Right? It's all about how God has placed me into this calling or into this vocation, and that vocation is intended to be a blessing to the people perhaps who elected me or who appointed me or who, uh, who, whose uh, position that somehow I, I came about having, right? And the problem is, is that if I say, well, that's not what it's about for me in terms of service, then what happens is the human nature takes over. And now it's no longer about service, but it's about status. It's about the idea that I have my power and I can use it on you or over you for my own enrichment, for my own benefit. Let's see, do we see that happening in our world today? Yes, we do. Now, again, we can see it all around us, right? It's amazing to me how uh, acute our eyesight is in identifying those kind of problems in other people. Okay, so do you see it in yourself? You see it in yourself. How long a list do you want? <laughs> uh, we don't have that much time. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, so that's part. Of, that's part of the the deal, isn't it? Is that sometimes what irritates us most about people that that we've elected or people that we've appointed or whoever it is that that's in in that authority over us, it irritates us when we see that in them. But I think some of the irritation is that we see it in ourselves as well. And then what do we do? We sort of project it out on them, okay? So you want to think about that with respect to ourselves as well as, as, well as to him. All right, so, so uh, he talks about the kings of the earth. Now, again, remember when it says committed adultery, very often in the, in the Old Testament for sure, but we see that in Revelation as well, is that the word adultery and idolatry are synonymous, they're synonymous. So the idea is, is that with respect to adultery, that what is adultery? That's the giving of your love and your heart and your body and your mind and your soul to somebody that you're not married to, even though you're married to somebody else, right? That's adultery. That's what idolatry is, is giving your heart and your soul and your body and your mind to someone other than the one who loves you and redeemed you. That is God, okay? And so when he talks here about the kings of the earth committing adultery, and being intoxicated with the wine of adultery, he's talking about idolatry, okay? Even though in those days, part of pagan worship include 
included sexual prostitution. So there was that for sure that was included. Okay, verse 3. Then the angel carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness. And there I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was covered with blasphemous names and had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was dressed in purple and scarlet and was glittering with gold, precious stones, and pearls. She held a golden cup in her hand, filled with abominable things and the filth of her adulteries. The name written on her forehead was a mystery. Okay, little, uh, it ought to trigger a thought here when you see that phrase, carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness. What does that remind you of? Remember Jesus's, uh, after he got baptized, it says exactly the same, almost the same thing. The spirit led him away into the wilderness to be tempted. That's just kind of an interesting little note there. All right. And so there he sees this image of a woman who is dressed to the nine, as they say. All right. Okay. And again, thinking in terms of the deceptive power of things to lure people away from a life of service, a life of faith, a life of humility into something else, why not dress her up that way? Okay, Because what would that do to people that maybe are uh, naive in their faith or people that are searching in their faith or seeking? What might that do, that image do for, uh, for people that are really looking for somebody to believe in or for something to hope in? What would that image do? Well, it would kind of make them wonder, well, is this really the real thing? Well, it, it would do that afterwards, but you wonder if just the, the, the physical attraction of it and the lure of it. I mean, if you, if you look at this, it's quite, uh, quite descriptive. Purple and scarlet would have been royal colors, right? Glittering with gold, precious stones and pearls, right? There would have been this, if not curiosity, to see who this is. There might also be uh, the thought that this person is famous. Celebrity status. This person might be a social media influencer. <laughs> right? Right? You know, I didn't know that was a job. And I didn't know that you can make a ton of money doing it, apparently. Now, some people don't live that long doing it, but actually, that's pretty amazing. Yeah, Gordy. I was just wondering, the scarlet beast covered with blasphemous names and seven heads and ten horns, the ten horns to me is the reverse of the Ten Commandments, so it's looking for the worst of the... Oh, I hadn't even thought about that, yeah. Hmm? With the seven heads. Is that the devil incarnate? Now, Gordy, you're asking questions that I think we answered several weeks ago. <laughs> and I don't remember what I said. Uh, now, I'm just coming off a of vacation, Gordy. Okay, all right. No, okay, so let me just tiptoe backwards. Okay, all right, so uh, here's the, we have beast number one and beast number two. Okay, the dragon is the father of the ante. Okay, and so beast number one was not really, beast, the beasts are not identified in Revelation as who are they and what are they. Okay, but we can descriptively say that beast number one is the antichrist and beast number two is that which supports it. Let me say it that way. Okay. I hope that answers your, yeah. That's the best I can do after two weeks of being away, one of which was in my garage. So, um, 
Okay, all right, very good. All right, so, so again, to kind of get to this idea, see, if you think in terms of what is it, what kind of image would attract people to it? So what would be the opposite of dressing somebody in purple and scarlet and glitter with gold and precious uh, gems and pearls and have this golden cup in their hand? What would be, what would be the opposite of that? Rags, poverty. Yes, just plain vanilla, probably some guy that's over 50. You know, probably what that would be. <laughs> I mean, really, that wouldn't attract anybody, would it? It wouldn't attract anybody. But what attracts is, is that. That's what tra- attracts. And if you think about it today, what is it that attracts people and says, this is the thing you should count on. If you want to be like this, you just have to follow this and do what it says. Isn't that kind of what, what happens? And the people that are um, undiscerning, a bit naive, perhaps easily influenced, okay, Maybe you don't have a lot of depth. Maybe you don't even have a lot of sort of spiritual or biblical background. Let's see how many people are like that today in America. Remember, we talked about this, you know, seems like a year ago, but um, they did that survey, you know, of the people in America who who self-identify as Christians. And it was like 75% was this huge, wonderful number. And we thought, oh, thank goodness, there's hope for us, right? And then what they did was they dug a little deeper and they asked people, they asked that 75%, uh, how many of you or what percentage of you have a biblical worldview? A, a, a way to think about it would be believe the same things as the Apostles' Creed. Okay, like that. 6%. Oh. 6%. So see, it, it's not to say those people aren't Christian because I don't know how, de- how much depth they have in their faith and maybe they really do believe in Jesus. But... The ignorance of the basic tenets of the faith. God is creator. Christ is redeemer, virgin birth, Holy Spirit, you know, the whole thing, which is this up here. Okay. And so if you think in terms of how susceptible people are to being deceived, this is a master job of deception. Okay. And so that's why, again, it's so critical for us to be doing what we're doing today. While we're really uh, we're uh, taking it in and and thinking about it and digesting it and and armoring ourselves up with it every day. It's not just head knowledge. It really is that you're able to discern what it is that's going on on the world in the world around us. But again, not from the perspective of oh bad bad world. It's it's from the perspective of seeing the way in which people can be spiritually deceived and then having a response to that. So that number one, we don't get deceived. But number two, then our children and our grandchildren don't get deceived. And then the world beyond us doesn't get deceived. Okay? So easy for that to happen. Okay? Any thoughts about that? Pastor, how do you know for sure if you you just think you're a real Christian or if you are? Does somebody want to answer that while I'm... I mean, I pray. No, I'm serious. Does somebody want to answer that? I'll answer it, but I'd love to hear what somebody else has to say about that. After being in this class forever. Yeah. Yeah. I I find that interesting that you say that because in my family, my grandparents were really strong Christians and my mom and everybody. So it was like, to me, I never doubted it. And it's like, I just feel it. Mm -hmm. It's it's a, I pray every day because 
thankfully that I have that in my life. Okay. So it's kind of a presence? I mean, it's just like, it's just me. I mean, it is who I am. Okay. There are times when we might doubt that, and that's probably what Anita is oh, talking about. Oh, I've lived about. a life where, where you would doubt it. <laughs> God, God looks after me. But you know, guess what? They're about the grace of God. Yeah. Okay. Anybody else want to? Gina, want to take a crack at that? If you believe that Jesus Christ died and rose from the dead for you, for you, and you believe in Him as your Savior, you are. You are, Peggy. Well, I'm wondering if you're thinking, uh, Anita, whether it's you're doubting that Jesus, you're doubting Jesus every so often. What Jesus is saying is, is, you know, that's it. That's what you need to do. But are you saying that sometimes you doubt that there's Jesus or doubt that Jesus did what he did? I doubt myself. You ain't in that belief. But you believe what? She just doubts herself is what she's saying. Yeah. You know, see, one of the dilemmas that we have is that many of us have long-term memory. (laughs) I mean, really. So you go through your long-term memory banks, and what do you do? Do you find, oh, all the wonderful stuff, and then what else do you find in there? Yeah. And so then we think, oh, boy, oh, boy, I don't know. Is there enough of the good there to really overcome all the bad? And then even if I thought the number was equal, would the weight of it be equal? You know, would the value of it be equal? And so then we, then we struggle, and we go, well, is this, like, really real? Okay, Kathy? Oh, and then we have to remember that the, the, the dragon, the, the king of the bad guys, yes. he is always working to oh, tear us down. That's such a good point. Okay, yeah. You know, so I think when you have a day where you're not doing well, your things are going your way, you yeah. think you need, isn't it that you have mm-hmm. But this other force is in your life at that moment right. trying to tear you down. Yeah, he the the devil. One of his biggest things to be able to do is he's at, he's known as the accuser. Okay, and so what does the accuser do? He has no good news for us, right? He says, "Well, yeah, okay, you know, God loves you, yeah." Today, what about like three weeks ago when you mouthed off to somebody, or you know, when you had evil thoughts about your mother, or something like that? Very unkind. I know there are some parent-child relationships in here. I know. I mean, I was thinking only of myself, you know. But I mean, see, isn't that what the devil does? And doesn't it work? Yeah. He. It, well, oh, never. Yeah, it doesn't work. In some sanctified families, it doesn't work, right? Yeah. Yeah. It because the memory of that. Now, now again, let's think about it maybe just from a different perspective. If you had a memory of. Um, a situation where you had with somebody else where there was still some outstanding sin or hurt or some sort of, you know, issue. The memory of that is not all bad because what might that memory trigger you to do? Straighten up. Yep, go repair it. And our faith in Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit is what empowers us to do that because some of those things are kind of hard to do on our own and maybe we don't even want to or we think well it, we'll just let it go but see that's not a good thing either right so the memory of those kinds of things is not all bad it's just that what the devil does with it is that he uses it against us as a reason for us to not be certain of our salvation 
So let me answer Anita's question, and then we'll pick up the other questions. Okay. Are you a baptized child of God? Yes. Then you don't have to worry about it. Oh, hallelujah. <laughs> See, because when I'm a baptized child of God, what does the Holy Spirit do? What does the Holy Spirit do? He puts that seal of faith, bam, right on top of me. And see, then God doesn't change his mind about that. We're up and down. A lot of times our faith is like this, isn't it? Up and down, up and down. Boy, I had a crummy day today. Where was Jesus? You know, that kind of thing, right? Oh, I had a great day today. I'm saved. You know, it's just, (laughs) we don't have to do that. We do it, but we don't have to do it because as baptized children of God, why is it that sometimes when something somebody dies that's close to you, yeah, and you always, at least me, God, why on earth did you ever do that? I know. And the answer to it is... Um, You'll find out. He, yes. You know that line in heaven? Okay, you can stand next to me in that line in heaven. Yeah, I don't know the answer to that one. But, but what I do know is that if we keep asking the question why we will forever be in an unsettled place. Does that make sense? So instead of asking the question why, ask the question what. What's God going to do with it in me or through me? Okay, yeah. Way back here. Yeah, Armin. And then Patty. Uh, I mean, and and we all know this. I'm just saying, I I felt like I had to say this. We all struggle. We we, we do. I mean, that's the same fighting with us. And... We're on this earth. That's going to happen. And I, I have, and we all have a bunch of verses that we all like. When I struggle, I start with Psalm 51. Yeah. Nothing. I mean, we, we, we get ashamed, but think of David, the apple of God's eye. Look what he. Look how hard he fell. And not only did he commit adultery, but he murdered. And so Psalm 51 is that lament and that asking for forgiveness. Yeah. And then, Romans 7 and 8, mm-hmm. I mean, thank God that Paul, you know, let Paul to put Romans 7 in there. He, here's Paul yeah. struggling. I do the things I shouldn't do, and I don't do the things I should do. Right. And then Romans 8 answers that. So yeah. I go to that. That's great. That's great. Oh, that's excellent. See, again, it it's the power of God's Word to take us to the other place. And without the power of God's word to take us to the other place, eventually your own weakness will overcome you. Your own doubt, your own worry, your own anxiety, your own sinful nature, all that stuff. And so that's that's the part where um, you have to really bring your A-game when it comes to stuff like that. And then, you know, if you find that there are some sins in your life or some things that you have dealt with in your life and you just can't get it out of you, well, then talk to somebody. You know, kind of confession is good for the soul, as they say. And I know we do uh, general confession um, every Sunday morning. That's always part of our service. And then there's a general absolution. Um, which, did you notice this morning they changed the words of the of the absolution? And I just ripped right through it. Did you notice that? Yeah. I, had, I noticed a few people afterwards, they were looking at their bulletin like, did he, did he say that? Yeah. So anyway, that's what happens when... Uh, Long-term memory kicks in, and uh, I just go there. But but just remember that individual confession and absolution. The absolution you get from a general is just the same as the absolution you get from uh, one-on-one, from personal. But sometimes there's just stuff that you can't get out of your soul 
in a general way, and you, and that's when you need to talk to somebody. And we have uh, good people around here that you can talk to. So um, that's that's all good stuff. Patty, you uh, had your hand up like a, a million mu um, minutes ago. Yeah. Well, basically everybody said what I was going to say, but I just wanted to tell Anita, I struggle with the same thing sometimes because I have to forgive myself. Yeah. Jesus' forgiveness is absolute, and I'm absolutely know I'm going to heaven. Yeah. I have to look in that mirror and say, Patty, look. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. I know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Isn't it just more satisfying to slightly turn the mirror, though? You know? You know, okay, I... I yeah. Yeah, so uh, anyway, I have no idea how we got onto this stuff, but... Well, gee, and I missed you too, all right? So that's how that works. All right, so we go to the next part where, you know, where in verse 5 it says, the name written on her forehead was a mystery. And then if you look down at the sort of underneath the notes there, it says, Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and of the abominations of the earth. Now, what, what, we, the, what the perspective we're taking toward the reference to Babylon is that it's Rome. It's Rome, Okay. So it and it might be any other world power which at the time insists on uh, whatever is the version of Caesar worship that that particular world power would would impose on people. So it might be a world power in which um, Christianity is being uh, persecuted or is somehow being watered down enough to where the world power would accept it, okay? And in some of the communist countries, that's what we do see that happening, okay? It kind of makes us wonder with respect to what's going on now in Afghanistan with the, uh, uh, with the Taliban and all the other, uh, um, I don't know, what are they referring to them? They're not saying Muslim, but they are saying Islamist, I think, is that what the term is, religious term that they're using, radical uh, Islam is, is doing. So again, it's this idea that, uh, in, at least in John's day, it was talking here about Babylon. And how we know that is there's a reference in First Peter uh, as he's uh, re referencing, we, I think we talked about it a few weeks ago, um, he's referencing uh, Babylon and he's writing from Rome. So that would be the, the inference of that. Okay. And so then verse eight, uh, verse six really, really brings that into the forefront. He says, I saw that the woman was drunk with the blood of God's holy people, the blood of those who bore testimony to Jesus. Now in John's day, it, that would have been probably a reference to, to the emperor Nero, um, who in 64 AD made the killing of Christians the centerpiece of his circus entertainment. So you have people being crucified, people being burned at the stake, all this terrible kind of stuff, and the attempt there is to eradicate uh, Christianity. Again, it's um, not too far-fetched to see that we see that same sort of thing happening in other parts of the world, and we always want to make sure that that would not happen in, in uh, our part of the world. Okay, next page. When I saw her, I was greatly astonished. Then the angel said to me, why are you astonished? I will explain to you the mystery of the woman and of the beast, she rides, which has the seven heads and the ten horns. The beast which you saw once was, now is not, and yet will come up out of the abyss and go to its destruction. 
the inhabitants of the earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the creation of the world will be astonished when they see the beast, because it once was, now is not, and yet will come. Okay, that, how do we know that's talking about, uh, is, I, I know the mention of the word beast, but what else is in the, uh, in the phraseology here that would tell us that it's talking about the, uh, the Antichrist or the anti-Christian power? Did you pick that up in the, in the phrase, uh, once was, now is not, and yet will come? Is a direct slap in the face to the Trinity, to Father, Son, Holy Spirit, with reference to uh, where it talks about in Revelation, God saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, right? So we talk, when, we talk about, when we talk about the Trinity, um, and the Bible talks about that from the perspective of forever. No beginning, no ending, forever, Okay. But the phraseology here is it once was, now is not, and yet will come. So there's a, there's a time duration to the existence of the Antichrist, okay? And that power that represents the Antichrist. Now, the other thing that's kind of interesting here is, is that the emergence of the beast coming up out of the abyss, which is, is, the, is hell, okay? Um, what is its destiny, Destruction. Yes, its destiny is destruction. And so you sort of get the sense here that the short time that the devil is allowed to do his thing on earth and is designed to uh, deceive as many people as it can and take as many people with it as it can does not have a good outcome. And so it reinforces for us, I think, the significance of staying in faith, right? of not being deluded into thinking that this is the way to go in life. Yeah, maybe you can get all the power you want. Maybe you can lord it over. Maybe you can have whatever you get your needs met in whatever way that might be. But at the end of the day, it's headed where? To destruction. Yeah. Wasn't the devil once an angel in heaven? Yep. He had a conflict with God? Yep. And God threw him out? After the big battle. Why do you think God threw him out? Because he wasn't God. Yeah, because he was trying to do away with God, and so he said, "Well, then I'll just, yeah, I'll just do my own thing, right? Right." About identity. Mm-hmm. Identity. Maybe I'm wrong, but I think we're living in a time where most people, Christian or people who claim to be Christian or otherwise, uh huh, they've just got this thing about they've got to identify with somebody. I got to be, uh, they want a name identity. I'm a this or I'm a that. I believe in this or I believe in that. Mm-hmm. Or I was watching this commentator on uh, pay TV and he or she said this or that and they turn these people into idols. And uh, instead of just searching for the truth and uh, reading the scriptures, they want to identify with these personalities. I see this woman years ago because I don't have pay TV anymore. <laughs> I won't mention her name, but she got this big crucifix, this big cross she wears. Uh huh. And she just knows everything. <laughs> <laughs> I hate this and I hate this. I'm the this, I'm the this. The hell with these people. The hell with those people. Okay, I think we get the point on that, so if you want to. <laughs> so what? So. Well, okay. Now, so let's, let's, let's run with that. First of all, 
you can't look in somebody's heart and say if they are or if they aren't. You can't. Okay, so that would be the first like little flick I'm going to do to you. All right, all right. We can't look in somebody's heart, but having said that, um, would you? Would, could we conclude that there are certain ways to live your life that would re- be reflective of the truth that you have about God's word being God's word, and then number two, the level of devotion that you have to that word in your life? Yes. But at the end of the day, the only time that the time that you and I are going to know if somebody really was a Christian or not is on Judgment Day, because that's the public thing of it, right? That's when you're going to be with the sheep and I'm going to be with the sheep and we'll be going high five in each other. And but there might be a few people with us who would say, gosh, I didn't even think you should be here. I mean, there's. (laughs) Well, there is, because we all look at the outside of a person and we say, oh, yeah, but I remember you when you were at Concordia Austin. You know, I mean, it just. okay. so that part is where um, we will rejoice in that. And then there's going to be people that are with the goat people that will will be surprised. We'll say, gosh. Of all the people in the world that I thought would have been saved for sure, those people would have because look at all the great things they did. Look at the wonderful uh, contributions to society that they made. But the problem was their heart, as the Old Testament reading talked about this morning, they followed all the rules. They did everything exactly the way that you were supposed to do it. But as Isaiah talked about this morning, their heart is far from me. Okay? So the caution is it might that behavior might irritate us and annoy us, but we have to be very careful that we don't cross that line and become judgmental in the sense that I am judging your heart because I can't look in your heart and tell. Okay, but I know what you're talking about. Of sometimes people wear decorative things that look Christian, right? And then you look at the way that they conduct themselves and you think, oh, I think that was just a decoration. It's the same thing. You know, I've talked about this before. How many of you on the back of your car have one of those little fish things? Does that make you a better driver, Carl? No, I don't think so. Yeah. And so, you know, you want to be mindful of that. If you're going to put the emblem of Christianity on something that is public, well, then be mindful of that. Right? So I don't have anything on the back of my car. So, Okay. That's just one layer of pressure I don't want to have to deal with. Right? Yeah, Carl. Uh, this, this term or this fir- uh, phrase that once was, now is not, and yet will come. Yeah. Is almost cyclical. If you look at history, yeah. mm-hmm. the, the, the vile, the evil. Yeah. Look at the First World War, the Second World War. It's defeated, destroyed. Yeah. Um, peace comes for a period of time. Yeah. And then it comes again. That's I mean, right. Even the, the radical Islam. Has had a cycle every 800 years. It raises its head and it flaps. Is that amazing? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and put aside for, for put to sleep for a while. Yes. And then it comes back again. Yep. We don't really learn much, do we? You know, when you think about it, and if you think about it, even um, in terms of like our personal lives. I mean, how many times has this happened, where you say to yourself, "Oh, I thought we already went through this," right? And then, you know, a week later or a month later or two years later, whenever it is, here the same stuff comes back. And, uh, uh, and then we go, oh, gee. Well, okay, it's the same stuff. It is the same stuff, right? It's kind of the stuff that's related to power versus service. It's that kind of stuff. Pride versus humility. It's that kind of stuff, okay? It's, it's uh, hopelessness versus hope. It, th- these are 
these are sort of basic human things that we go through because we're sinful human beings. We have a sinful nature. We live in a broken world. And that hasn't changed, right? But the redemption that we have is what makes a difference. And we want to be able to share that redemption with, uh, with the world around us. Okay, well, let's go to verse 9. This calls for a mind of wisdom. Well, I think we could stop right there. How about that? <laughs> Which, by the way, have you noticed, um, and I, I just noticed it, but I haven't looked at it that much, is at different points in the narrative here, he will use a phrase like that. This calls for courage. This calls for wisdom. We might want to look that up and just kind of put that together in a list because I suspect that what he's saying is to keep your faith in times like these, then part of bringing your spiritual A game is that you have courage, you have wisdom, you have perseverance, you have patience, all those kind of things. So we might look that up and include that in the lesson for next week. So he says, this calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are the seven hills on which the woman sits. They are also the seven kings. Five have fallen, one is, and the other has not yet come. But when he does come, he must remain for only a little while. The beast who once was and now is not is an eighth king, and he belongs to the seven and is going to his destruction. So again, the interpretation, the, the uh, traditional interpretation here is that it's talking about Rome, that with you have the seven hills of, of Rome, and then you have the emperors, okay, and then the one that is yet to come who is associated with the beast, right, as an antichrist or anti-Christian power would have been uh, Nero. That's what the, uh, that's what the traditional um, uh, sort of conservative view of this is, all right? And so what is the value of wisdom then in these times? What's the value of wisdom? You can see things for what they really are. I was going to say, sometimes you take time to think about it. Yeah, it's, it, that there's a, per, there's a perspective that you take. And some of it is, as Carl pointed out, is that you, you have the long view of things. And so you look back and you say, well, here's this happened then, and this happened then, and this happened then. Okay. So when people have wisdom, there's, there's much less likely a chance of a knee-jerk reaction to either running toward the latest thing or running away from the latest thing. That there's a, kind of a, there's a kind of a stability there. There's a kind of a groundedness, if you will. And when it talks about wisdom, it's talking about spiritual wisdom. It's not just talking about how many degrees you have or how long you went to college or school or whatever. Okay, There's a certain... Um, certain amount of life experience that goes into wisdom, you know. Think about those of you that are like in my age range, you know, 30 or so. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, think how smarter you are now than when you were younger. Not smart, just smarter, right? But, it, but there is something to be said for learning, uh, learning the ups and downs and learning to sort of stay steady and not just... Uh, you know, just going off just because things happen to go well or they don't go well. Okay. Well, so. in this whole uh, education situation, oh, yeah. I think it's great when you go to higher education. Yes. And you do learn things. Sure. And you gain some wisdom uh -huh. about some things. Yes. But I know so many that mm -hmm. have never stepped a foot into a university mm -hmm. and have just, you know, been around the block a few thousand times right. in real life. Mm hmm and they're so much smarter and have so much more common sense than mm -hmm. some of these with higher degrees. The experts, mm -hmm. God's the only expert, as far as I'm heard. Mm -hmm. 
and he's the expert I'm listening to. So that's it for the higher education. Thank you for that PSA for today. (laughs) As we celebrate, as we celebrate our young people going off to college, and we pray for God's, yeah, but, but kids today are exposed to some way different stuff going on than when, when, uh, when we were. Seven years. Seven years, my wife and I were broke. Dad. Moving on. Moving on, yeah. Well, but there's some reality to that, you know. Um, I read read this morning, I was reading an article in Christian Century that was talking about because of uh, a lot of budget cuts, a lot of smaller... Christian colleges are suffering, and so they're going through, uh, uh, they're doing faculty uh, cuts. And what they're doing is they're putting premium on keeping people who can teach other people how to get and keep a job, and they're not keeping people that would be teaching the humanities. Humanities are like the social sciences and literature and, and history and things like that. And the thought is, well, you know, if you're going to go into debt because your kid goes to college and then he comes out and he doesn't know anything and he can't go get a job and uh, 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 produce anything, well, then what? that's not very good. At the same time, though, when you ax all of the, um, all of the programs that where they learn about thinking critically, you know, as, and, and with common sense, of course, but critically, then that's not good either. Because then people are easily led, and you can lead somebody right down the path, can't you? And if you decorate it enough, if you make it glamorous enough, if you put a lot of uh, uh, purple and scarlet on it, if you do all of that kind of stuff, people go, oh, that's the one I want to follow. And there's no discernment, okay? So uh, it was making the argument for a, a really actually a high-quality liberal arts education teaches you how to think critically. And that seems to be, we seem to be at a crossroads in terms of uh, how, what that is and what that looks like. And even some of our Lutheran colleges have struggled with that. So the, the Concordias are struggling a bit with that because you have to pay the bills and the Synod no longer uh, contributes money to the Concordias. So the Concordias have to raise all their own money, which means that they're raising it with tuition or they're raising it with donors. And sometimes if you uh, are beholden to donors, then sometimes the, the, if a donor gives a large amount of money to a school and then makes some demands on that school in terms of what you can teach and what you can offer, well, then the school is kind of in a bind. Okay, so there are some educational realities that are part of this, but I don't think there's any question that our kids today, uh, high, it's high school and all, it's junior high and high school all the way through college, um, are are being um, led down a certain path, and we have to be able to respond to that. I say we, I'm talking about the church. We have to be able to respond to that, so that we can do that in an intellectually honest way. You know, and not just you know, throwing mud balls at them, but, but at the same time um, to see it for what it is. And a lot of it is beast-oriented. It's anti-Christian. And the design of it is to eradicate Christianity. It's just doing it in a very stealthy way and, frankly, a, quite a sophisticated way.
Okay, so we have to be mindful of that, and that's where the mind of wisdom comes in. Okay, mind of wisdom. Okay, well, let's go to verse 12. The ten horns you saw are ten kings who have not yet received a kingdom. So, Gordy, there's a little bit of that reference to the ten horns thing. Okay, but who for one hour will receive authority as kings along with the beast? They have one purpose and will give their power and authority to the beast. They will wage war against the Lamb, but the Lamb will triumph over them, because He is Lord of lords and King of kings, and with Him will be His called, chosen, and faithful followers. So it's kind of interesting, again, to look at it from just the, just from the, the sort of opposite of this. Okay, so you have the kings of the earth, and then you have the followers and the vassals and all the people that say, we're thrown in with the beast. And then here you have the faithful. Okay. And again, what's the message of hope and joy in this is, yeah, there's going to be tough, toughness in terms of life. But guess what happens? The lamb will what? The lamb wins. The lamb wins. And so, see, that's part of what you hang on to. I think of a lot of people today have a very shallow idea of hope, that that hope is based on things go well, or if they go badly, it doesn't last too long, or it's not much of an imposition on my life. But we all know, because we've all been there, you're not always in control of how long the bad lasts, because some of that is in somebody else's hands, you know, society or your health or the doctor you're seeing or, you know, whatever it is. I mean, there's some things that are chronic and they don't go away. So how do you have hope even when the life that you're leading is, has, it feels like it has more misery than it has joy? Well, see, that's where the hope comes in of this verse. They will wage war against the lamb, but what? The lamb will triumph because what? He is Lord of lords and he's king of kings. And with him, see, with him will be his called, chosen, and faithful followers. Well, who is that? Baptized child, baptized children of God. That's who that is. On their best day and on their worst day, right? That's right. Because it's not up to my how my day goes to make that determination, right? If anything, it's how God's day goes, and his days are always great. Okay? All right, so let's finish it up with verse 15. Then the angel said to me, the waters that you saw, okay, referencing back to the very first part of the chapter, where the prostitute sits, where the prostitute sits, are peoples, multitudes, nations, and languages. So now we know what the waters is, okay? The beast and the ten horns you saw will what? They'll hate the prostitute. They will bring her to ruin and leave her naked. They will eat her flesh and burn her with fire. Now, this is kind of interesting. The very thing that supports the beast, the beast will eventually turn on. A way to say that today is is that hate consumes people to the point where they turn on each other. That's what hate does. Okay, And so I do think there is a caution in there for us. Not that we would intentionally go there like, oh, I'm going to hate someone today. Okay? I mean, I do have baseball hate, but that's a different kind of hate. <laughs> okay? But it's, it's, it can become a habit of weakness that I just go there. And I have my list of, oh, don't like that, don't like that, oh, like that, like that, right? And it's maybe not 
active hate in the sense that, you know, I really put a lot of energy into it. Like, oh, I am really going to really hate you today. It isn't, I don't think it's that so much. As much as it's just treating people with indifference. You treat people with indifference, that's another way to hate them because it may be even worse because hate is at least I'm attentive to you. I'm giving energy to you and I'm doing this to you, right? Okay. But indifference is I don't even notice that you're there. I just walk away from you. And maybe that's something that we Christians can maybe hmm, improve just a little bit, especially when we run into things that offend us or appall us. We think, oh, not going there, right? And then what happens is we end up turning our backs on people instead of maybe turning our backs on what they're teaching or what they believe. Okay, so I think just a little bit of a conviction there for each of us, all right? Verse 17, for God has put it into their hearts to accomplish his purpose, okay? By agreeing to hand over to the beast the royal authority until what? God's words are fulfilled. The woman you saw is the great city. Again, it's thought that that's meant Rome that rules over the kings of the earth. So the, the takeaway, see, is that who still is in charge? Whose purpose is going to get fulfilled? God. Yeah. And at the end of the day, what's the purpose? Our salvation. That everybody come to the knowledge of the truth, right? And so some people have, I don't know that it's an easier road to get there. I don't know about that. But some people have a really hard road to get there. And sometimes the obstacle to getting there is in here. It's in my own pride. It's in my own knowledge. It's in my own uh, desire to, to, uh, to control things. Okay, good stuff today. Well, it's good to be back with you. Um, barring any household uh, emergency next week, I'm planning on being with you. <laughs> So uh, anyway, we'll uh, look forward to that. Let's close a prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for our time together. Thank you for the way that your word speaks to us. It speaks such knowledge and such truth and yet such hope and joy into our hearts in these times that we live. So we pray that, that as we uh, sort of look at the times and sort of figure out what is this meaning, um, that we never have to worry that somehow you've changed your mind about us that you love us, that you've redeemed us through Christ, and that we're looking forward to a time in heaven. But we also know, Lord, that as we live in the joy of that, we have the opportunity to live that joy with each other and to live that joy in the world in which we live. So help us to be sources of joy and help us to be sources of hope with the people around us. Watch over us this week until we're together again, and we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.